Chapter Number Two of Penrod. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jonathan Burchard, March two thousand nine. Penrod by Booth Tarkington. Chapter Two. Romance. The author of Harold Ramirez, etc., lit one of the hayseed cigarettes, seated himself comfortably with his back against the wall and his right shoulder just under the lantern, elevated his knees to support the notebook, turned to a blank page, and wrote, slowly and earnestly, Chapter the Sixth. He took a knife from his pocket, and broodingly, his eyes upon the immured embryos of vision, sharpened his pencil. After that, he extended a foot and meditatively rubbed Duke's back with the side of his shoe. Creation, with Penrod, did not leap full-armed from the brain, but finally he began to produce. He wrote very slowly at first, and then with increasing rapidity, faster and faster, gathering momentum and growing more and more fevered as he sped, till at last the true fire came without which no lamp of real literature may be made to burn. Mr. Wilson reached for his gun, but our hero had him covered, and soon said, Well, I guess you don't come any of that on me, my friend. Well, what makes you so sure about it? sneered the other, biting his lip so savagely that the blood ran. You are nothing but a common road agent anyway, and I do not propose to be baffled by such. Ramorez laughed at this, and kept Mr. Wilson covered by his automatic. Soon the two men were struggling together in the death rows, but soon Mr. Wilson got him bound and gagged in his mouth, and went away for a while, leaving our hero. It was dark, and he writhed at his bonds writhing on the floor while the rats came out of their holes and bit him, and Vernum got all over him from the floor of that hellish spot, but soon he managed to push the gag out of his mouth while the end of his tongue knew and got all his bonds off. Soon Mr. Wilson came back to taunt him with his helpless condition, flowed by his gang of detectives, and they said, Oh, look at Ramorez sneering at his plight, and taunted him with the helpless condition, because Ramorez had put the bonds back so he would look the same, but could throw them off when he wanted to just look at him now, sneered they. To hear him talk, you would have thought he was hot stuff. And they said, Look at him now, him that was going to do so much, oh, I would not like to be in his fix. Soon Harold got mad at this, and he jumped up with blazing eyes, throwing off his bonds like they were air. Ha ha! sneered he. I guess you better not talk so much next time. Soon there flowed another awful struggle, and seizing his automatic back from Mr. Wilson, he shot two of the detectives through the heart. Bing, bing! went the automatic, and two more went to meet their maker. Only two detectives left now, and so he stabbed one, and the scoundrel went to meet his makers, for now our hero was fighting for his very life. It was dark in there now, for night had fallen, and a terrible view met the eye. Blood was just all over everything, and the rats were eating the dead men. Soon our hero managed to get his back to the wall, for he was fighting for his very life now, and shot Mr. Wilson through the abodemen. Oh, said Mr. Wilson, you dash, dash, dash. The dashes are penrods. Mr. Wilson staggered back vile oaths, soiling his lips, for he was in pain. Why, you dash, dash, you, sneered he, I will get you yet, dash, dash, you, Harold Ramirez. The remaining scoundrel had an axe, which he came near our hero's head, but missed him, and remained stuck in the wall. Our hero's ammunition was exhausted. What was he to do? The remaining scoundrel would soon get his axe loose, so our hero sprung forward and bit him till his teeth met in the fletch, for now our hero was fighting for his very life. At this, 
The remaining scoundrel also cursed and swore vile oaths. Oh, sneered he, dash, 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 you, Harold Ramirez, what did you bite me for? Yes, sneered Mr. Wilson also, and he has shot me in the abdomen. To the dash, dash. Soon they were both cursing and reviling him together. Why, you dash, 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 sneered they. What did you want to injure us for? Dash you, Harold Ramirez, you have not got any sense, and you think you are so much, but you are no better than anybody else, and you are a dash, 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 dash. Soon our hero could stand this no longer. If you could learn to act like gentlemen, said he, I would not do any more to you now, and your low, vile expressions have not got any effect on me, only to injure your own self when you go to meet your maker. Oh, I guess you have enough for one day, and I think you have learned a lesson and will not soon attempt to beard Harold Ramirez again, so with a tantig laugh he coolly lit a cigarette and, taking, taking the keys of the cell from Mr. Wilson's pocket, went on out. Soon Mr. Wilson and the wounded detective managed to bind up their wands and got off the floor. Dash, dash it! I will have that dastard's life now, sneered they, if they have to swing for it. Dash, 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 dash him! He shall not escape again, the low-down dash, 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 dash! Chapter Seventh: A mule train of heavily laden burrows laden with gold from the mines was to be seen wandering from the highest cliffs and gorges of the rocky mitts, and a tall man with silken mustache and cartridge belt could be heard cursing vile oaths as he well knew this was the lair of Harold Ramirez. Why, dash, 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 you, you dash, 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 mules, you sneered he, because the poor mules were not able to go any quicker. Dash you, I will show you why, dash, 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 dash. It sneered he, his oaths growing viler and viler. I will whip you, dash, 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 dash. You so's you will not be able to walk for a week, dash, dash, you, you mean old dash, 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 mules you. Scarcely had the vile words left his lips when, Penrod! It was his mother's voice calling from the back porch. Simultaneously, the noon whistles began to blow, far and near, and the romancer in the sawdust box, summoned prosaically from steep mountain passes above the clouds, paused with stubby pencil halfway from lip to knee. His eyes were shining. There was a rapt sweetness in his gaze. As he wrote, his burden had grown lighter. Thoughts of Mrs. Laura Rubush had almost left him and in particular, as he recounted, even by the chaste dash, the annoyed expressions of Mr. Wilson, the wounded detective, and his silken mustached mule-driver, he had felt mysteriously relieved concerning the child Sir Lancelot. Altogether, he looked a better and brighter boy. Penrod! The rapt look faded slowly. He sighed, but moved not. Penrod, we're having lunch early just on your account, so you'll have plenty of time to be dressed for the pageant. Hurry! There was silence in Penrod's eyrie. Penrod! Mrs. Schofield's voice sounded nearer, indicating a threatened approach. Penrod bestirred himself. He blew out the lantern and shouted plaintively, Well, ain't I coming as fast as I can? Do hurry, returned the voice, withdrawing, and the kitchen door could be heard to close. Languidly, Penrod proceeded to set his house in order. Replacing his manuscript and pencil in the cigar box, he carefully buried the box in the sawdust, 
put the lantern and oil can back in the soapbox, adjusted the elevator for the reception of Duke, and in no uncertain tone invited the devoted animal to enter. Duke stretched himself amiably, affecting not to hear, and when this pretense became so obvious that even a dog could keep it up no longer, sat down in a corner, facing it, his back to his master, and his head perpendicular, nose upward, supported by the convergence of the two walls. This, from a dog, is the last word. The combo of the immutable. Penrod commanded, stormed, tried gentleness, persuaded with honeyed words and pictured rewards. Duke's eyes looked backwards, otherwise he moved not. Time elapsed. Penrod stooped to flattery, finally to insincere caresses, and then, losing patience, spouted sudden threats. Duke remained immovable, frozen fast to his great gesture of implacable despair. A footstep sounded on the threshold of the storeroom. Penrod, come down from that box this instant. Ma'am? Are you up in that sawdust box again? As Mrs. Schofield had just heard her son's voice issue from the box, and also, as she knew he was there anyway, her question must have been put for oratorical purposes only. "'Because if you are,' she continued promptly, "'I'm going to ask your papa not to let you play there any—' Penrod's forehead, his eyes, the tops of his ears, and most of his hair became visible to her at the top of the box. "'I ain't playin', he said in dignity. "'Well, what are you doing?' "'Just coming down,' he replied, in a grieved but patient tone. "'Then why don't you come?' "'I got Duke here.' I got to get him down, haven't I? You don't suppose I want to leave a poor dog in here to starve, do you? Well, hand him down over the side to me. Let me... I'll get him down all right, said Penrod. I got him up here, and I guess I can get him down. Well, then, do it! I will, if you'll let me alone. If you'll go back to the house, I promise to be there inside of two minutes. Honest! He put extreme urgency into this, and his mother turned towards the house. "'If you're not there in two minutes, I will be!' After her departure, Penrod expended some finalities of eloquence upon Duke, then disgustedly gathered him in his arms and dumped him into the basket, and shouted sternly, "'All in for the ground floor! Step back there, madam! Already, Jim!' Lowered dog and basket to the floor of the storeroom. Duke sprang out in tumultuous relief and bestowed frantic affection upon his master as the latter slid down from the box. Penrod dusted himself sketchily, experiencing a sense of satisfaction, dulled by the overhanging afternoon. Perhaps, but perceptible, he had the feeling of one who has been true to a cause. The operation of the elevator was unsinful, and save for the shock to Duke's nervous system, it was harmless but Penrod could not possibly have brought himself to exhibit it in the presence of his mother or any other grown person in the world. The reasons for secrecy were undefined. At least, Penrod did not define them. End of chapter 2